God's design for marriage, coming up on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Join us as we study through Genesis and learn of God's abounding grace. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor shares the story of Adam and Eve and how God brought them together. Right here in Genesis 2, we discover God's design for marriage. It's not good for man to be alone. And Adam needed a helper. God provided just what he needed and at the perfect time. Let's hear all about it now in part two of The Perfect Man and Perfect Woman. Notice with me in verse 19 again, it says, out of the ground, God formed all the beasts, every beast, every bird, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So here are all the animals coming by. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And as he's looking at them, he's looking at Mr. and Mrs. Hippo, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. You know, the Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, you know, they're necking, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys on the radio, thank you very much for that groan. He's saying, look at all these animals. They have mates. They seem not to be alone. And God even knew Adam's need. And God brought that knowledge to Adam's heart and mind. And imagine, again, trying to put ourselves in, in Adam's place here the best that we can with our holy imagination. But you consider being in Adam's shoes, you're lonely. The animals around you aren't fulfilling to you, even as we see in verse 20, for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The animals may have brought joy, may have brought fun. He names them and, you know, hyper-intelligent man, of course. But there's a lack of fulfillment. And if we kind of put it into today's language, you know, imagine you're lonely, Adam. And God answers your prayer by, you know, you're kind of considering that you're alone. And so the answer to your prayer was that he says, okay, go to the Denver Zoo. And I want you to examine all the animals. Go for it. Find a mate suitable to you. And while you're there, name them. And so you're walking through the, the zoo and you're scratching your head. You're like, birds? Not, no, no, I don't. Okay, there you go. Mockingbird and bluebird, but there's nothing that's going to help me. And you, you go to the reptile section and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And you, the rhinoceros, the giraffes, all the different animals. And at the end, none of them bring fulfillment. And I believe God wasn't trying to frustrate Adam, but to teach him faith. And it just reminded me, like, like, how many times that there are needs put before me, and I don't necessarily see the lack of fulfillment as God wanting to build my faith. I usually respond a little impatient, a little frustrated. I don't like to wait. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not very good at it, although God has me in places of waiting, but I'm not very good at waiting on the Lord. I have a temptation always to become impatient. But it reminds me, and God has been faithful over and over again, and he'll be faithful to you because he's the same God today, yesterday, and forever. That when a need is brought to my mind and my heart, God isn't bringing a need to frustrate me. He's bringing a need to my mind because he wants to meet it eventually in my life. He wants to meet those needs. The Bible says that he's going to provide for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 
That God wants to provide for those needs. I, I need to be careful not to identify my wants as needs, because then I'll be really frustrated, because I'll be looking for something from God that he never intends to fulfill. But on true needs, on, on true needs, God will fulfill the desire that he placed upon my heart and my mind. And another thing I want you to notice is that in Adam's singleness here, in Adam's singleness, he doesn't go through the garden looking for a mate. So that my illustration going to the Denver Zoo is not quite uh, an accurate illustration because God brought the animals to Adam. He didn't go looking for a mate. He didn't go searching. But rather, he went to sleep. Notice in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. He went to sleep. You know, I was thinking of sleep. It's one of the most vulnerable positions you are in life. It's one of the most dangerous places for you to be asleep. You're the most vulnerable. You, you aren't paying attention, especially if you go into the deep REM sleep, right? You're not, they, like, you're gone. You know, some of you, you have the, <laughs> you're, we're so jealous of you because, like, as soon as you put your head on the pillow, you're gone. And it, we're... We're not hearing from you until the morning. You just have a deep, deep sleep. But have you ever considered what, how vulnerable you are in your deep sleep? Where there's no self-protection, there's no ability, you, you're just resting. And I think that's what's here. I think it's a literal sleep, but I also think it's a place of resting. It, it speaks to us symbolically of relying upon, waiting on, trusting in, and holding on to the will of God, just resting in Him. And it was God's answer to Adam to create a helper comparable, to complement him. That's what he says. He says that he made the, that the rib, uh, which the Lord God had taken, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And who is this woman? She is, according to verse 20, a helper comparable to him. She too, Eve, you ladies, are too created in the image of God. You have the same value as men. You are not secondary or lower or somehow insignificant. And there's a fancy word, as this comes up in, in, in conversations, there's a fancy Bible word. If you want to drop it on someone just to stop the argument, you can. And you can say that men and women are ontologically equal. Ontologically equal. Now, you, you have to be careful because men and women are not equal in all ways. You know that. We're very different. Uh, we, we, we were made different. We have, we have different purposes and, and we have different body parts. And there, there's many differences upon us. However, ontologically, and, and that speaks of your nature, your very nature as a human being, we are absolutely 100% equal. But you know, there are women among us that are much smarter than us here right now. You're much smarter. You're, I'm not equal to you in smarts. Did you know there are also men here tonight, maybe watching or listening, they're much smarter. And so in intelligence or in ability or in education, there's a lot of things that make us different and unique. But in the eyes of God, he loves us equally. There's no difference between us. And of course, that gets exploited in our culture today because our culture loves to use differences to diminish one another. That's not God's heart. God's heart is not to use your difference and my difference. I think of, 
you know, if somebody had made a mention, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today. That's what I do for a living. I talk. Not very good, but I talk. And that's what I do. But some of you, some of you are like, well, I could never do what you're doing. I couldn't do that kind of talking. And, you know, that's not God's will for your life. But, but you, you can like fix an engine. Actually, you know what to fix in an engine. And, you know, these hands were not made to fix engines. And neither was this mine. I don't understand that stuff. There's things I'm just not good at. It doesn't make you better than me. It doesn't make me better than you. But we're very different. However, if I somehow make what I'm doing, teaching God's word, the most important thing in the world, then automatically, because you don't do it, I diminish you. And you think, well, Ed, that's pretty important what you do teaching God's word. It is pretty important. But what you do is pretty important. Yeah, but Ed, what do you get? You get to teach the Bible and, and you get to minister to so many people with the Bible. Yeah, but do you know that you have access to people that would never listen to me? Like you have access to people that would never, ever turn on a radio station, walk through those doors of the church, or listen to some pastor. But maybe because you're a, you're a, you, you share a cubicle with them, or you're their boss, or they're your boss, they have to listen to you. And you have access to people that I could never have access to. And so you see now, together, as the body of Christ, we're all valued equally before the Lord. But because there's differences among us, see, the differences aren't used, there aren't, they aren't designed to diminish one another, especially between men and women. The differences between men and women were meant to be compatible together. That where I'm weak, you're strong. And where you're weak, I'm strong. And we're not to compete with one another. We're not to lord over each other. We're to serve one another. That's what the whole new covenant then comes. You know, Paul will tell the Philippians, hey, learn how to think of others more highly than yourself. So God says it right here. The value of male and female is so that we might be comparable to one another and we might complement one another and we might support one another. And you can expand that even in the broadest sense of you know, when you think of spiritual gifts and, and some gifts are, are thought to be more important, you know, what's the most important spiritual gift? Well, I'll tell you what the most important spiritual gift is, the one you need in the moment. That's the most important one. So pray for it. Pray what God has for you right there in the moment. It's not, oh, you know, teaching's so important. No, not necessarily. Not if, the, not if the moment requires mercy, then you want to be merciful. You know, somebody that's hurting doesn't need a Bible study. They need a hug. They need ministry. It's like you could tell somebody comes in and he goes, oh, it's been such a hard week. Well, sit down. I've got an hour-long Bible study. I can teach you on how not to hurt in Jesus' name. No, man, just sit down for f- what you can do in five minutes. I wouldn't be able to do in 45 minutes if I exercised the gift of teaching, but you sat down and mercifully loved someone. They're comparable, compatible. Now, notice in verse 23, Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall, call, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked. Again, another place of vulnerability. He went from sleeping to nakedness and vulnerability now with his wife. The man and his wife, notice in verse 25, and they were not ashamed. So it's not good to be alone. Needed a helper. Very few people, speaking to those of you that are single, very few people have a gifting or a calling to be single. Uh, and it's, it's not good for you to be alone. 
And even those that do have a calling to be single find that it can be very difficult at times, very challenging. But there was someone that God created in their humanity to come alongside and compliment Adam. This is from the beginning. From the very beginning, marriage has been defined as one man, one woman, one lifetime. You go, where do you get that? We, we just read it. Notice how the words that he uses, they were both naked, the man and his wife. Who is his wife? Eve. And who is Eve? Remember, Adam woke up and go, whoa, man. <laughs> I gave you a second chance. <laughs> and so here you have man and woman. And I know it's getting more challenging in our culture today as lines are being blurred and emphases are, you know, you would think the way that the media is today that the whole world is confused, but only people that are separated from God are confused. And they willingly are confused. They choose, as we said earlier, anyone that's in sin chooses to sin. They choose to blur the lines. They choose not to accept God's ideal. They, they choose to receive the life from God, but not the accountability to God. They'll choose, oh, I love life. Live your best life, you know. You only live once. They're all about life. But they're not about accountability to the creator of life. And, you know, before, we have to be careful because we were there. I was there until my mid-20s, my early 20s. That's how I lived my life. I was all into life myself. I was all into defining how life was to be lived. And I was all into having to deal with the consequences of my rebellious life toward God. Things did not turn around for me until I was born again. Period. There, there is no part Ed and part God. It was all God reaching me in the depth of the pit, delivering me and putting my feet on a solid rock. It's only those that choose not to allow the definitions of God to define them, the limitations of God. It's hard to deal with limitations. You're seeing it lived out in, right before our eyes. From the beginning, marriage, one, that, it's his ideal. Not everyone lives the ideal. Not everyone has a marriage, one life, one, one, one man, one woman. Sometimes it's through death. Sometimes it's through divorce and all sorts of things. Not everyone has that. But that's God's ideal. God's ideal isn't diminished because of the failure of man. God's ideal stands on its own. That's his desire. That's his thing. And so I want you to see that Eve was taken from Adam's side. We see that. It was Matthew Henry that said this. On occasion, I'll mention this in a wedding ceremony. But he said, and I quote, Woman was taken from Adam's side, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to be trampled on, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected, from near to his heart to be loved. And it's the picture of Adam and Eve in this first marriage because there, it, it points it points to another bride that was formed from another of Adam's side. Jesus is the final Adam, the last Adam, the Bible says. And it was on the cross that he hung where a spear was placed, was placed in his side and a bride being formed at that time, the bride of Christ. And again, you see the parameters of marriage here. I'll just jot them down if you're taking notes, but marriage begins with a separation. Did you know that? Verse 24, marriage begins with a separation. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife separation. You have to leave. The, the principle is what? Leaving and cleaving. You have a new relationship, a new primary relationship, where now the in-law relationship 
is secondary to your marriage. Your marriage is prime, priority primary. It starts with the separation. Marriage, secondly, is designed to be steadfast. Steadfast. Notice it says in verse 24, it says that they're to be joined, he's to be joined to his wife. There's a breaking of the cords, and then they're literally to be stuck together. That's what the word joined means. Joined together. Thirdly, marriage grows in intimacy. As it says here in verse 24, they shall become one flesh. One flesh. In marriage, you grow intimately, spiritually, emotionally, and it can be very challenging uh, to share even the most deepest, intimate parts of your, of your life and heart. So you grow in that together. And this as well, as they become one flesh, speaks of the sexual intimacy that is designed for marriage alone. It's to be enjoyed within marriage. And then finally in verse 25, marriage also includes an abiding transparency. They were both naked, the man and, their, and his wife, and they weren't ashamed. They, were, they, did, they, weren't, they didn't make fun of one another. They didn't shame one another. There was some of the most sweet intimacy and vulnerability that's built upon trust that's built over time within marriage. So listen, church, no matter the way of the culture, from the beginning, it's been God's design. And you may just need to reaffirm that choice to follow God. It's been God's design. Marriage is defined right here in the beginning. And later on in, in the teachings of Jesus, you know, a lot of times when it comes to homosexuality, the LGBTQ community, and all of the things surrounding that, you'll hear all kinds of arguments that sound strong at the beginning, but they're not really that strong. And one of them is, well, you know, Jesus never condemned homosexuality, so therefore it's perfectly okay. Well, I would have to say that Jesus never did come out very directly and condemn homosexuality in the ministry that's been re reserved for us in the scriptures. I agree with that. There's no passage of scripture in the red letters that Jesus would then say in such a negative tone as it's being presented, you know, condemning homosexuality. He doesn't. You know what he does instead? He values and honors marriage. He defines it. He values it. He adds it. Why? Jesus didn't come to condemn, the Bible says. The question's asked wrong. Why would you expect Jesus to take such a hard stance against such behavior? Why would, you, why would you look for that, knowing the sensitivity of that particular sin and how sexual sin is? And, and even when they came to him testing him about divorce, he took them on a path so they, of self-discovery going, you know what? It's not God's will for that. That's not how God intended. That, that's not the Father's will. And even in other places where the sin of homosexuality in 1 Corinthians and Leviticus, even when you see passages where that particular, that particular behavior, Romans chapter 1, is declared sin, it, it's not in a place of judgment or hatred. It's just a fact. I, I'm sure that the same people that would say, that's not a sin, I can live however I want, wouldn't like you ripping off their car. It's like, oh, you know, it's great. We live in great freedom, so steal from me. No, the Bible says stealing's wrong too. I'm sure they wouldn't be so happy when you lie to them to their face. Oh, lie to me. No, the Bible says lying's wrong too. Oh, and by the way, those that might emphasize this particular sin of the LGBTQ community and just make it the big deal in your life, you have to understand that sin is sin. And that sin is laid before some very common sins, even in the church. Look it up. Study it for yourself. Sexual sin is sexual sin. Adultery is just as much a sin as fornication, you know, sin when you're married, you have sin with someone else, you have sex with someone outside of your marriage, adultery. 
If you're single and you have sex with anyone, you're fornicating. That's equal. Those are things that we're all to stay away from. Those are things that we're to live a holy, righteous life. Those are things that we're to repent from and forsake in our lives. And who are we to take a stand of strong judgment? Who are we? We're those that are to introduce people to the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We don't have to water down the gospel. Sin is sin. I have no problem sharing that. But you know, at times I have a problem remembering where God brought me from. Teenage parent, taking advantage of teenager in high school, having free fornication for so long. Yeah, don't you remember it? Oh, I remember. I remember the people I hurt. I remember the child we brought in. Oh, I remember. See, we have to remember the goodness and grace of God. It will soften you as you're dealing with difficulties in our culture. It'll soften you because I hope as you're ministering to people, you want them delivered like you were delivered. And then, of course, there's always those who go, well, Ed, I wasn't as bad as you. Actually, you were, just in a different way. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A good reminder there that we're all in the same boat. But thanks be to God, there is hope for sinners like you and me in Jesus Christ. You're listening to a study in Genesis 2 here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And Ed, as you were recalling how God brought Adam and Eve together, I thought it would be cool to hear your story, how God put you and Marie together. (laughs) Well, Larry, what a story that is. Uh, I'll have to give you a very abbreviated story. version of it because there's so much to it, but we were uh, unbelievers in high school. It was not the typical high school romance type of relationship. Uh, Marie, as a freshman, was given the locker directly under mine, and I had a top locker. She was given a middle locker as she came to school for the first time, and that's how we met uh, at our locker, and I spent a lot of time pursuing her, uh, wanting to be her friend, and finally... Uh, She acquiesced, uh, and we became friends, and we went out and uh, had a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, very tumultuous, off and on. I was not a very nice man. I very uh, addicted to alcohol by then in the party scene of high school, and Marie was not. And I, uh, one of those on uh, times, uh, we ended up getting pregnant as a teenage uh, parents. And that kind of kept us together, uh, but we weren't really together uh, for the next couple years. And then sovereignly, miraculously, the Lord brought us back together, uh, and we got married as unbelievers, and the Lord sustained us through a very tumultuous first couple years of marriage until we were both born, both born again. And that is, that's where it all begins, right there, when God entered into our family. And what changed... Uh, was that God now empowering us from the inside. Uh, I was learning how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a man, and I was learning how to be a son and how to be a a dad, how to be a husband. Every role in life, I failed at. I was a miserable failure in every role uh, that I was given. And I had some outward signs of success, uh, but not many. And God was just so gracious to us. So we met in high school. I love her so much. Married 34 years by the grace of God. We've been serving Jesus for 30 years of that or so. Uh, And I've been pastoring. I've been pastoring and serving in pastoral ministry alongside of Marie now for 25 plus three and a half in California. So almost 29 years. 
Uh, and it's just great. I love her so much. She, she is a, a wonderful woman, and we have been given a wonderful life. So thanks for asking. Thanks for sharing that. If you enjoyed the message, hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. You can search for that in the App Store or Google Play. Just look for Ed Taylor. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio and Internet every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our Lord and our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you a copy of Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. Some of the featured topics include the art of reproducing leaders, the one indispensable requirement of leadership, and the tests of leadership. Let this classic be your guide for leadership and see how God works through you to do great things for His glory. Request a copy right now by calling us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it online at calvaryco.store. And then join us next time when we'll have another great study in the Word from Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.